solar's been on this very consistent technology cost curve in terms of its underlying costs, right? The cost of buying these things and constructing them and putting them up. For 40 years, it's been going down by about 10% a year. And that continues today. In the last five years, the price of solar has gone down about 50%. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is a new year and it's going to be huge, so I'm glad you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and hopefully these incredible guests will inspire you to get out there and take some action and make it happen in 2018. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, straight into the nuts and bolts. So if you do like this show, please give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can also find this show wherever you podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. And these episodes are now up on my YouTube channel, so head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it'll take you straight to the recordings of these uh, shows each and every week. You can see my ugly mug, but you can also see the beautiful faces of my guests. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today in the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brian Bursick. Brian, co-founder and CEO of Wonder Capital, brings extensive finance and capital raising expertise to Wonder Capital, from private equity investing at Bain & Company to financing online commercial lending companies. I'm very excited to have him with us on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Brian. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Wonderful. Good to be here. Mate. I want you to dive into the nuts and bolts of what you do at Wonder Capital, but let's rewind the clock a little bit and tell me how you made your first dollar. Yeah, so uh, for a long time, I just was doing things for my family. We had 100 acres outside of Pittsburgh, and so there was plenty of, of work to do out there. But my first actual job was actually at a uh, steel factory where they'd bring in coal uh, and they needed people to uh, shovel the coal back onto the uh, to the conveyor belts that were that were spinning off lots of it. So that was my first uh, real uh, ten, you know, tax filed gig. How old were you when you got that job? Uh, I was sixteen. Wow, just just legal, right? <laughs> That's right, exactly right. <laughs> the black lung probably set in early, right? <laughs> You'd be surprised after a few months there, you blow your nose, and generally there's some black in there. Yeah, I could yeah. imagine. I could imagine. Awesome, mate. Well, look, now walk us through, you know, your experience and what got you into, you know, the, the investing world, um, you know, from, from college and, and what, what inspired you to help go and co-found Wonder Capital? Yeah, so uh, the finance story goes, goes way back. Um, and I was lucky I had a dad who was excited about the stock market and uh, started buying me single shares of local Pittsburgh companies. So my first uh, share was one share of Heinz. And back, back when people actually, you know, in the newspaper, you'd have like two or three pages of all these stock prices. And every Sunday, we'd go and compare them. And so I was a, I was a personal finance nerd from way back. And, uh, you know, was reading people like Peter Lynch and Ben Graham and um, not to compare those two, but uh, in, in, you know, in, in middle school. Um, and then, you know, I decided to put that together with solar when, frankly, we saw both a big opportunity to 
um, you know, get capital into the solar space and also some exciting stuff happening in the solar market. And those two things came together in Wonder Capital. So I take it you do have some, I, I mentioned that you we used to work for Bain & Company. So clearly you've had, had some corporate life, but talk to me a little bit about the that transition, you know, getting out of the corporate world and into your own gig and sort of what was the why factor behind all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, so in college, I studied economics, but at a liberal arts school, so in a very theoretical sense. And I always loved the kind of efficiency of the market and the meritocracy and the, um, you know, there, there was something there that appealed to me. And I went and started working for the Fortune 500 companies and private equity firms doing buyouts. And uh, that efficiency didn't seem to exist at large scale companies. Um, there seemed to be a lot of things keeping that, you know, kind of beautiful market from operating. And uh, that was when in New York, I was in New York with Bain. Um, New York was really rising as a startup scene kind of in the late aughts. And the startup ecosystem seemed to be that place where, you know, five or 10 or 15 people that were really talented and working hard could, you know, move a 50,000 person company, <laughs> right? And, um, and something about that kind of dynamism uh, was what I always liked about economics and how the markets work. And so I was naturally attracted to startups, joined a venture firm from a former, basically run by a former Bain guy. And uh, that was my foray into uh, getting companies off the ground and kind of using technology in those efforts. Nice, nice. But it would have been, you know, a bit of a, a shock, I guess, or, you know, a leap, a leap of faith to go out and start your own thing, you know, your own shop. It's, it's nothing. It, it takes a bit of balls to go out and do that. Not everyone who's listening to this show is like, yeah, let's go start my own company, right? So that, that in itself can probably be, you know, you probably have parents saying, no, stick, stick with your good day job and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, it sounds like you and I come from the same sort of cloth where it's like, you know, we're screw it. Why not give it a crack? Right. So, so talk to me a little bit about that because that would have been, I'm sure maybe some inner demons to be, to, to go out and then pull the trigger. No doubt. Yeah. I think everyone deals with them. Anyone who's listening who thinks that uh, all of us don't think about that as well with the inner demons is, uh, is way off. Um, so, so I think, you know, when I was in venture capital for four years and I think if you're good at that job, you're meeting five to 10 interesting founders a week who are laying out their vision of the future in a way that they're gonna go capture it. And I think if you've got any bit of entrepreneur in you and you do that job, it's going to be expressed and excited by, um, you know, just that repetition of seeing people succeed and in your portfolio and how it's built. Um, and so uh, that was how I kind of got comfortable and got excited and um, got that ahead of those inner demons, right, to, to make that leap. Um, you know, the, the other thing I'll say, and I think it's, it's, it's what we're saying is that I'm really lucky to have a lot of support from a lot of people that allow me to make that financial leap. And I know there are folks that really want to and have to support, you know, a bunch of people in their family back home or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, I do feel really lucky that I was in a place that I could make that leap and know that worst case scenario, I'm sleeping on someone's couch, um, you know, not, not being visited by the debt collector or going bankrupt. Right. So that's, that's a big deal. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky in that. No, a lot of people think about that mm -hmm. and it's, you know, they, they talk about financial freedom and all this sort of stuff and, and financial freedom is all well and good, but you know, it, it also, the financial freedom part of it is that really you have the control to do what you want with your day. Right. And you can do it. You can chase your dream or chase up an idea 
and not be scared about oh how am I going to how am I going to pay rent this this month? And I think that's there's two, there's two different things, but people sort of combine them as one because there's a lot of work that goes on into starting your own business. You and I both know just how much you know the long hours, the, the weekends, the no holidays, the very little pay on the front end, and you're like it's ho- better, better bloody work. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's also very invigorating to think well, hey man, I've just I just started this company. This is awesome, and look what I'm creating. And then looking back on like you know however long it's been a year, two years, and think. Wow, that's that's incredible. So, it sounds like you have uh, you probably came from the great the best incubator to start your own company, right? So, let's talk about that for a little bit. So, solar, you know, obviously it's it's green energy. Why, from a fundamental investing point of view, why did it make sense to start a company focused purely on solar solar energy? Yeah. Um, so, at a really high level, what gets us excited is the fact that solar's been on this very consistent technology cost curve in terms of its underlying costs, right? The cost of buying these things and constructing them and putting them up for 40 years, it's been going down by about 10% a year. And that continues today. In the last five years, the price of solar has gone down about 50%. And what's so exciting about that is that for a very long time, for 35 of those 40 years, solar was just going from being ridiculously expensive to being very expensive, and it wasn't competing with you know, the grid um, incumbent utility costs. And in the last five years or so, um, solar has gotten cheap enough that with a good financing package, and that's where kind of we come in, but you know, with the capital to not take all of that cost up front, but spread it over the 25-year effective life of the system, um, you can walk in and just offer a price discount relative to what the you're paying the grid. And so, you know, when the market tips from people who are paying more because they care about the environment and, and God bless them, they certainly supported the solar market for a long time. Um, but, you know, when you compare that market size to people that want to save 10 or 20% on their power bill, you know, it's, it's inverted, right? It goes from 5% of the market to 95% of the market. And so what we're seeing right now in the U.S. is that the price of solar every year going down is basically expanding new geographies, new states, where five years ago it wouldn't have been cost effective, and now we can walk in and show a discount. And so it feels like this really important kind of tipping point decade for solar in the U.S., whereby, frankly, if people can get the capital to go out and finance these things, and that's what we're out there doing, you know, directly uh, with our business, raising money from from folks, and then... Um, you know, investing it into these systems, allowing people to put solar up on the roofs and then collateralizing those systems. So we have an asset standing behind it, but, you know, a lot, a lot like real estate. Um, but uh, the kind of why now and what's going on in solar is just this, just this cost story. Um, and it looks a lot, frankly, like semiconductors with Moore's Law and the way that that just marched down very predictably. Um, so, so, yeah, that's, that's the high level story that we're most excited about. No, it's it's interesting, and I, and I've I've had a bit of experience like looking with my own portfolio, putting solar on existing um, properties. Talk to me about the the technology behind it, because obviously solar panels are quite inefficient in what they do, right? And and you know I I know I was I was sort of um, looking at a, at a project recently, and we could spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it's a brand new ground up construction deal, and that's fine. You know the, the local municipality required that it be solar ready, so it had it had the conduit to the roof and all that sort of stuff. And and really from a from a ground up construction point of view, I can see it would make sense from a refinance because you'd reduce your quote unquote fictitious NOI of the common area space. You know you, you may get ten percent of the total uh, you know consumption of a building, um, and then you can come to refinance and you get you know lower proceeds and all that sort of good stuff. But on an existing building, 
it just didn't make as much sense because the building's already there and I can't really refi. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to spend $150,000 on a, on a grid uh, or a panelized system in what, and it takes me 10 or 15 years to pay off. In those 10 or 15 years, does the efficiency going to skyrocket, you know, and, and, and you know, I've got to come and replace these and in, in, in spend another 150 or, you know, whatever it costs in, in 10 years time. So talk to me about that sort of, you know, as a, as a business owner myself, how do, would you walk me through getting over that mental hurdle of just the overall efficiency of these things? It's a long way to get to that question, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, you know, and it, it is the case that they continue to get more and more efficient. Um, they're probably 50% more efficient than they were uh, 10 years ago. Uh, so they're going up quite a bit um, to put a point on that. A lot of what you see today is kind of around 20% efficiency. And what that means is that um, if you were to capture every single bit of energy, the sun is sending us on a square inch, that would be hundred percent. So the panels are capturing about one fifth. Um, most of the stuff that we're doing, uh, just to be explicit, is 60 to 80% of the consumptive need of that building. Um, so we're doing three, four, five story office space, warehouses, uh, university schools, hospitals, where um, you know the roofs are big enough and the panels are good enough now that it is a substantial piece of what they pay in power. Um, obviously, they're consuming at night and early in the morning and you know late afternoon when the panels aren't producing as much. Um, and we're generally seeing five to seven year payback periods uh, on the systems we're doing. So that's where it actually just gets into how this deal is structured and frankly, how important financing is. Because to your point, you know, even if it's five to seven years, you're putting 150 grand down now, not knowing, you know, five to seven years out, you're paid back, hopefully. <laughs> right. And, and then and then what? Like you, you in 10 years, right? You future you 10 years out gets to have this great experience, like tough pitch, right? Um, what's what we do is we come in and say, listen, you know, you you pay for the power. Uh, let's make that power price less than what you're paying the utility. Um, we're gonna do the financing in the back end and make that pencil. And by the way, we're gonna make sure it's built by a good person and do a third-party inspection and make sure the insurance is there. And so you know, the closer you can get to coming in and just saying, hey, you paid 12 cents now, we're going to give you power for 10 and a half cents. And that's the pitch. The closer you can get to that, the better you're going to do. And that's why, you know, financing that can stretch it out like you stretch out a home mortgage. You know, people aren't going in and doing a lot of cash purchases of homes, right? Um, and uh, this is a similar kind of space. In fact, the down payments, uh, down payments on those systems are often quite a bit smaller. And it makes sense. And so with the with that, that, that exact, there's great little analogy, 12 cents to 10 cents. Uh, are, the, are the individual property owners owning this system or are you guys still having ownership until, you know, you're the bank, you know, cause you, and your, your, your collateral is the fact that these solar panels, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a lot like a mortgage in the sense that you do own your home, but if you don't pay them, they very much will exercise their rights to, to take your home. Uh, so, 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 so we are of that type. So um, to be clear, we're not owning the systems. Um, and whatever tax benefits or accelerated depreciation are associated are taken by the owners of those systems. Um, there are a couple different ways that can be structured. In some cases, the folks building the systems want to own them and offer them as a service, just sell the electricity. In some cases, the host of the site wants to own it. Um, and that just that depends on a deal by deal basis. Um, but uh, we are just coming in basically saying, hey, we're debt. Here's our rate. Here's what our investors need to make. Let's pair you together with the capital we can raise on the investor side, and um, and 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 they're off and running. Talk to me about that sort of that side of the the business. That are you are you raising all the 
quote unquote debt from your private private investors? Yeah, so we got off the ground four years ago um, using these um, crowd finance regulations, the 2012 Jobs Act and the SEC's interpretation in kind of 2013, 2014 um, to raise money from any accredited investor in the US. Uh, so we issue regulation D securities like a lot of crowd finance platforms. And that was our first about $20 million raised and invested. And um, frankly, at that point, we started to see that um, call it the mid to long tail of money managers. So not people managing a hundred, $250 million kind of check size funds, uh, but people who might invest $500,000, a couple million dollars, family offices, RIAs, um, trust foundations, uh, started to see them come in, in uh, a lot more numbers. And then we found that when we hit about a $50 million kind of run rate and our pipeline of borrower demand started to creep up to about half a billion, um, we started to see the big banks come in. And so uh, we basically have three channels. We've got uh, some banking partners with basically warehouse facilities um, that we can kind of source projects into. We've got this kind of middle market channel. We've got a specific fund dedicated to $100,000 to basically $10 million check writers uh, and kind of a different you know, engagement with them, frankly, as investors. And then we've got this crowd finance platform for $1,000 to $100,000 investors. Interesting, interesting. And what are they... They're, they're quote unquote sitting in first position, I take it, and they what what sort of return on their capital is is the average investor would be getting? Yeah, yeah. And just to be explicit, we're typically about seventy percent of sold project value, so we're very much sitting in that kind of senior debt position. Um, so if you go into our platform, if you go into wondercapital.com, um, and by the way, we have crowd finance people coming onto the website who are direct investors that are far more than a hundred thousand, but um, there's kind of this separate product you can access when you get to that level, but. Um, yeah, you know, those folks on the site are currently getting a 7.5% projected annual return uh, over a five-year period. Um, so that's their, that's their term and uh, rates. And then those loans are actually being amortized on a 20-year uh, period because of the value of the asset and it's warranted for 25 years. And so you're getting a, you're getting a very small, you're getting a small piece of principal back each month, but predominantly you're getting this seven and a half percent projected yield. And then obviously there's a bullet payment of the end uh, at the end of the five years with your remaining principal. Um, the product actually for uh, the larger, you know, investors and really for managed money investors, the RAAs, the family offices uh, has a 10 year duration on the underlying debt eight and a half percent projected yield for the extra illiquidity, but we're actually positioned to take that to the secondary market and get our original investors liquid if they'd like to in year three or four, because there's a fairly liquid market for seasoned solar debt. Um, so you can take these things out once it has a payment track record and get those original kind of greenfield investors, if you will, liquid. Sure. Um, that sounds fantastic. So talk to me about the risk involved with, you know, these type of if I'm an investor coming to you and say, okay, I'm sitting in quote unquote first position, but I, I, I'm essentially, my product is sitting on a, on a building that has other debt on it, right? And right. then there's, there's, there's a hierarchy. And so I'm assuming a solar panel first position is not the same as the actual bank who owns the land that which the building sits on, correct? Correct. I mean, our only claim is against the system, just to be really clear. So one of the things you do contractually at the start is you make sure that you don't actually kind of get involved with in any way the kind of property debt structure, um, which is both to say we have no claim against it, but also that they have no claim on our system. And mainly that's because we don't penetrate anymore. Solar systems don't penetrate the roofs. And so it's removable. And so you have a declared personal property. 
So basically think of the solar system. Yes, it's on the property and you need an easement because of that, right? That stays with the property irrespective of transfer. Uh, so that's really important asterisks. But setting that aside, the workout actually looks a lot like you know, capital equipment or an auto lease where it's just a separate piece of property that is dealt with separately in a bankruptcy proceeding. Um, I think that the thing to understand that is not obvious um, to anyone, frankly, from what it seems thinking about this, because I think you think of the system, you think of this hardware, you think it's aging, how much value is there. Um, the thing that you want to do is not to try to monetize that hardware. That's a, ter that's a terrible way to get a good recovery, particularly on the out years. Um, what you want to think of it as is a ongoing stream of electricity that has a financing package that makes it cost effective for that building. So i.e. you are the electricity generation machine that can give the cheapest power to that building. And so therefore, as long as that building is occupied, you should be able to sell that power to a rational actor tenant, irrespective of who they are. So basically, the recovery uh, mechanism that's been really successful in solar, and Solar City has been the best at this, and they're obviously in residential, we're in commercial, but similar dynamics. Um, they go in when there's a bankruptcy, they exercise their rights, so they own the system. A new tenant moves into the house, and they say, welcome new tenant, we own our owner. Uh, we own this solar system on your roof. Now listen, we can rip it off, that's fine. Um, but we could also sell you power for 20% less than you're going to pay the utility for it. What do you think? No commitment, right? I mean, definitely not the same deals um, for the investor on the certainty and out years, but you're just an electricity, you know, um, small business on, on, a single, on, a, on a single site. And um, that's the mechanism that we're setting ourselves up to, to access both through, of course, the perfection of collateral and all the legal bits, but making sure these systems are well built so they're operating and actually generating this valuable electricity. Uh, the economics make sense from the start to pay our investors whole and make sure they're actually seeing a discount. Um, and finally, you're using the kind of hardware you want to use where, you know, frankly, this recent tariff on Chinese panels, a lot of that stuff we don't use anyway because the warranties aren't there. Um, we want to use really high quality stuff. And if it's year seven, it's still cranking out that electricity at a rate and a price that makes sense. So uh, we do a lot of work on the back end to make sure that's a real, um, you know, generating ongoing asset. Uh, as opposed to just kind of hand waving it, yeah, we've got a claim against something. So I think I think that's where we see a lot of value in being in solar above and beyond. Hey, it's a great market and it's growing. We think there's a lot to that asset that is probably underappreciated in the capital markets today, and therefore we hope delivering some kind of outsized risk return to our investors from that inefficiency. Look, it sounds all very very logical and plausible about all how how you would maintain your ownership of the actual physical structure in the event that some that the debt on the primary structure is is <laughs> comes into default or something of that nature. So uh, talk to me a little bit about if I'm the borrower. So I'm I'm the I'm the property owner. What am I coming to you? What sort of rates can I get from you and from you know we, we briefly touched on it earlier, but um, am I paying the seven and a half percent over five years and then you know it's amortized over 20, 20 years? Is that is that right? Yeah, exactly right. So our model, um, so just to be really clear about, you know, how we make money, um, you know, we take a pretty commercially standard loan origination fee that is charged to the borrower as a closing fee, their only closing fee on the loan. Um, and then we take an ongoing loan servicing fee, again, pretty industry standard stuff to the borrower on each payment. So what that leaves out is that we're not taking economics between our investors and our borrowers. We're really just trying to match those things. So our investors put money into our fund vehicles, our fund vehicles go out and are directly the lenders. And yes, as the borrower, you're seeing the flip side of those investor rates that I quoted. 
um, generally that experience is that you're seeing a 60 to 80 percent reduction in your utility bill because the system's generating power um, and then we want our financing costs to kind of comfortably fit inside of that savings such that your total collective experience is at least 10 percent cost savings and you know we target 20 percent cost savings so you know if you're a commercial entity that's paying ten thousand dollars a month for electricity um, you know, we're aiming at your total cost uh, of having gone solar hitting eight to 9,000, right? So you're seeing one to 2,000 of cost savings. Now, in terms of where that's plausible, it has mostly to do actually with what you pay for power and less to do with how sunny it is where you are. Um, so, so as dermatologists are always telling us, a lot of sun rays actually get through clouds, <laughs> right? You should, you, should put on, you should put on some sunscreen on a somewhat cloudy day. Um, so you'll actually see only about a 30 or 40% variation between a place like you know, the Northwest where it's very cloudy and a place like Florida or Colorado where we are quite sunny. Um, whereas power rates vary like three X, you'll see 18 cents in places in California, Northern California, predominantly uh, places like New England. And you'll see like six, seven, eight cent power in places like Texas and Colorado. So generally what we guide people to is if you're paying more than 12 cents, it's worth looking into. If you're paying more than 14 cents, we almost certainly can offer you a cost savings. And if you're up in that 18 cent range and you haven't gone solar, there should be a reason why, like a bad roof type or there's a lot of shading. But if you're that high, you're talking about 25% plus cost savings. Interesting. Interesting. And you mentioned the, uh, the 60 to 80% utility reduction. Um, I know when just going through the, the recent studies that we did on our property, you need a pretty large area, right? Like, the, you know, if you're, if you're confined to an urban infill type of apartment building, you really only got the roof that you can, you can put it on. But if you're more like a garden yeah. style, 20 acres, sort of, you know, Texas type of apartment building, it's a little bit different, you know, animal, right? And you can fit a lot more on some, some you know, unused space. Talk to us a little bit about that. That's exactly right. I mean, if you're in an urban context and you're starting to get to the six, seven, eight, nine floors and above, you're simply just not going to have enough roof space, at least with traditional solar. There's some new concentrated solar. Frankly, it's not what we do, so I wouldn't be the expert on that. Um, but we do not see a lot of that. Um, where, to, you know, to your point, you, you know, solar continues to get more efficient, and I think people might be surprised that looked at it you know, even a few years ago as to what you can get today. Um, that said, you do need a reasonable ratio between the roof and the consumption of that space. And so, you know, office space tends to be relatively low consumption, kind of low to medium. Um, you know, we'll see two, three, four story uh, suburban office space, kind of that, think that place where you probably get your teeth cleaned, right? Or if you grew up in the, if you grew up in the verbs like I did, um, those kind of spaces are great. Multi-tenant retail. So think about the big box stores that have, you know, five or six, you know, bakery next to them and the dry cleaners. You can underwrite the big box store, get comfortable there and do the whole space. Uh, warehouses are great. Real, a lot of roof space for the consumptive demand. Um, but yeah, when you start to stack up these buildings and the roof space shrinks, uh, it's less useful. That's, that's without a doubt. Interesting. So from an education point of view, we're walking into your restaurant, right? Walk us through the menu of, from high level free stuff that we can, you know, I can jump on your website right now and find out a lot, lot more about what you do through to the, obviously the nitty gritty, which I think we covered in pretty much in extensive detail. You, 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 you offer investors or borrowers an option to get solar to reduce their power. But what about the sort of free high level stuff that people can learn more about what you do? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Certainly a ton available on the site. Um, you know, we have to uh, identify who you are before we show you certain things. So, uh, you know, the, the, the sign up's a little, um, 
upfront, but past that offering memos, you know, help you understand the solar industry as well as what we're up to, but a lot of good stuff on just what's going on in solar and what the possibilities are and why commercial is interesting, frankly, you know, relative to residential. You know, we also have a cost savings uh, estimate kind of tool for borrowers that might be interested. So if you're a business out there uh, and you just want to get some kind of high level, does this pencil for me, you know, put in a couple pieces of info. Um, we've got that on a kind of go solar segment of our site. Um, and we've also got uh, a really fantastic investment team that's on chat, uh, live on the site and on email. And, you know, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they'll just open up, doesn't matter who you are, you know, they'll open their Calendly up and they'll grab 30 minutes with you and, um, you know, tell you what we're up to talk about solar, how alternative lending's working, crowd finance. So, um, you know, that team's probably the best thing that we provide, uh, besides the, besides the investments. Um, so mate, tell me what you got planned for 2018 and beyond both personally and professionally, because I'm sure you got a, a lot of growth happening in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, you know, to be honest, the last year was a pretty wild one. We grew, uh, we grew our kind of key metrics, uh, like eight to 10 X in the last year. Um, so we were seeing about 10 to 20 million of borrower demand a month, um, about a year ago. Now we're seeing over hundred million. Um, we just, we've set records every single month, the last four months for how much we've invested in solar projects, uh, setting December aside because the holidays, we didn't hit a record, but, uh, it's like September, October, November holidays, new record in Jan, we just set. Um, so to be honest, it's a growth year, you know, for us, it's making sure we continue to really do a high quality job. Uh, we've had no misprojected payments. We've had no losses, no write-offs, no uncured defaults. And so, uh, you know, Previous performance is no guarantee of future results, but we want to do everything we can to, to, to make sure it's as close as it can be. Um, so a lot of hiring. Um, we're pulling in more money to the company. We're scaling the team. We're adding a lot of kind of controls to make sure as we continue to scale, all of that stuff uh, stays at the quality that we've been able to, to execute at to date. And uh, personally, um, you know, there's a lot of growth there for me as a, as a CEO uh, to stay on top of that and keep everyone working together. So um, you know, we're kind of getting to that stage. We have 16 and we'll kind of quickly this year, I think, go to 25 to 30. And that's kind of the stage at which a lot of the organic stuff that you could kind of get away with just having great people at 15, mm -hmm. you really have mm -hmm. to have some, some distance. <laughs> some distance. <laughs> yeah, some processes. And uh, so we just did our 2018 uh, offsite and, uh, you know, that was kind of the theme of it, right? Is that, hey, we have to grow up in a couple of important ways. And, uh, and then, you know, personally, I've got a, I've got a little 20 month old guy uh, name, name Bennett and he's just starting to talk and, uh, and kind of express himself. And so that's, you know, outside of work, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's, that's it. <laughs> well, mate, you sound like you've got a lot going on for you. And I, I'm sure I'd love to dive a little bit more into you know, your business culture and setting up culture because as a young guy, you know, as a CEO, it's that's in itself, you know, not, not only the business of what you do and creating investment opportunities for investors and, and borrowers and all that sort of stuff, but also creating a team around you that wants to work for you, wants to be successful. Like that's also a challenge in itself. And for every young young CEO, it, it is a bit of an uphill battle if you've never done it before. And, and obviously I'm sure there's mistakes being made, but you're learning every single day and you're trying to surround yourself with good, good mentors to say, Hey, you know, what do I do now? <laughs> As you're saying, you know, like you, you rely on certain people and you're like, Oh crap, I need a I probably need to process that because if they're not here that day and we don't know how to do it, we're, we're all screwed. Right. <laughs> but, um, I also just, as you were saying, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of right. you know a lot, of, a lot of demand for your for the loan product. So on the other side, it must be like pulling two levers where you got to find the projects to put it on. So there's a lot of 
sales pitch, you know, finding the, the, the deals to get it on because yeah, it's great to have all that want and capital to, to put into deals. If you've got no deals to put them into, then what the hell, <laughs> what's the point, right? So yeah, how, how are you going about finding, you know, the, the I guess more education? I guess, is that right? You know, it's part of the reason, you know, we try to get out and tell our story on, you know, great channels like yours. Um, but uh, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, the borrower demand has outstripped the inherent crowd finance platform, which is frankly why we had to go to some of these institutional partners and say, hey, look at this pipeline of projects. We've got this great stuff that we're having to turn down. Um, and just to be clear, I mean, you know, we, we finance only about 10% of what we see. And part of that is, um, part of that is being very picky. I mean, as I mentioned, we've been able to have a, a pristine track record to date um, and, you know, um, certainly hope to, to continue that. Um, but that is also reflective of the fact that um, we didn't always know that we would have the capital to finance a good project. And sometimes we had to turn down a, you know, a, a good project, which is really painful for folks that want to accelerate the growth of the solar industry, I might add. But that, that, was, what, that was what pushed us, frankly, into the non-crowd finance kind of direct to investor channels was that grew about 5x last year. But, you know, one grew 10x, the other grew 5x. It wasn't keeping up. And that's really when we had this underserved pipeline and we went to some banking partners and they said, yeah, this stuff looks good. Let's set up a facility and you start kicking those projects our way. Well, mate, I want to wrap up the show with uh, asking you the top five investing tips for here in the United States. So you ready to dive into it? Let's do it. All right, mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Meditation, 10 minutes, start of every day, gives me some distance between my reaction in my head and actually evaluating that reaction. That's like the practical implication of that for me. Nice. What, what type of meditation do you do? Uh, mindfulness. Uh, so I use, you know, one of the common apps, you know, sometimes guided, sometimes not, but just uh, let the brain kind of release whatever it has going on in there and listen to it and see what that tells you about what you should be up to. Nice, man. I do mine of, a, of an evening. I'm an evening to help me go to sleep. Otherwise, I'm up all night thinking about stuff. <laughs> Who has been the most influential person in your career to date? This is pretty corny, but I have to say it's my dad. Uh, my dad is a, um, is a litigator. And I think, um, you know, later, later in his career has appreciated more and more the kind of entrepreneurial direction and less the kind of, uh, you know, work for wages uh, approach. And, uh, he was, he was a real catalyst in me getting comfortable. Yeah. Well, buying you your first Heinz share back in the, back in the day. It's pretty funny. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Mate, you're in a technology business. I'm sure you'd have your most influential tool in your business. What is it? Like, you know, from software to, to hardware, a cell phone, computer, a person maybe is the most influential tool. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, and maybe we were just, I'm just primed on it because we just mentioned it, but where my mind immediately went was the um, kind of, we call them operating principles, but the things that we emphasize as a company around really quick decision-making with incomplete data around focus around really direct feedback loops and fast feedback loops. Um, when I think about the tools at my disposal, it's that we've got 16 people that are all deeply bought into these several things that we um, hold as truths around here and hold as ways to kind of interact. Nice. That's, that's fantastic. I think that's a great way operating principles and probably tying a lot more back to your, you know, your mission statement as well. Right. And, and what you do. So precisely right. Really, really, really important. Uh, 
A bit of a doozy question. What has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And what did you learn from that failure? Yeah, I think I didn't take advantage of my four years in venture in the way that I probably should have. And I think it was a flip from, you know, having from education early on to college to Bain, this very clear, like, here's the ladder you walk up to success. And that VC firm was the first place where you could go and do your work well, but at least 20 or 30% of the job kind of was going out and just doing things on your own. And I think it took me a little while to understand that agency, that need for agency and how you kind of execute in a place that isn't highly structured and no one's saying, hey, go do X, Y, and Z. It's like, there's a problem space, go solve it. Um, that for me was a big flip in mindset and that took a couple of years and I think I probably didn't take advantage of that position or that role as much. I learned an outrageous amount. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> um, but, but didn't go out and I think kind of own it and take advantage of it in the way that uh, I would perhaps not. Yeah, no, and, and I think it would also go back to your your, your underlying, you mentioned a couple of times, your operating principles, your 16 people, the, the whole, the, the growing pains of, in, um, what's the word, like inspiring your employees to have the entrepreneurial mindset to not have to be sort of spoon-fed information to do the work. It's sort of like, you know, encouraging that 20 to 30% what you just said, like, hey, here's a problem, go nuts. I'm not going to give you any guidance. Like you just need to solve this, right? And that's, right. Uh, right. you know, critical thinking, which not everyone has. And not, or not you know, when you're starting 16 to 25 people, it's not, the, the, the chances are you're going to have a low percentage of people who can do that. So hence you need to fall back on your systems and all that sort of great stuff. So um, yeah, mate, look, last question. Where can people reach you to continue the conversation and want to find more about, about what you do? Hit up your website, you personally. Um, yeah, are you speaking at any other seminars or anything like that? Yeah, so um, we are. I'm on the, the solar panel with some awesome folks at Lendit, I think is our next speaking engagement. So, so if you're there, come say hi. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Brian, just B-R-Y-A-N, first name at wondercapital.com. So uh, hit me up on email. Um, we're fundraising. So, so if I'm a week or two late, be, be kind. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and then I'm, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm at Bersic, my last name, at B-I-R-S-I-C. So um, yeah, hit me up in any of those places and uh, would love to connect with anyone who wants to uh, hear more about solar. Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you for dropping in today. just want to quickly summarize some of the, the, the high learning points that I took away from today's show. Just the efficiency in which I think solar panels are going. You know, you, you talk about that over the last, uh, I think it was, uh, they've become 50% more efficient in the last 10 years. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's going to be another 50% more in another 10 years time. I think it's really, really important. The 60 to 80% utility savings is, I think, huge um, for any, you know, not only homeowner, but industry, your, your focus on commercials, any commercial owner of an asset. I think it's really important to generate additional NOI. I know personally, I looked at it from a refinance point of view on new construction. I think that's really important space because you can, you can the upfront dollars can be come back to you a lot quicker. Um, and really just in terms of the overall, you know, what you do, the, the, you're an investment firm, but you're also a lending firm and sort of that, that sort of that sweet space in between and, and offering investors a place to put their capital, but also offering um, business owners a way to reduce, you know, their, their NOI and essentially increase the overall value of the property. So really, really awesome stuff. Did, did I miss, did I leave anything out? No, I think that's it. That's cool, us man. in a nutshell. 
Well, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Well, there you have it. An awesome episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Brian. Please check out his website at wondercapital.com. You can also check out all the show notes from today's episode up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Thank you again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial education about investing here in the United States because that's what we're all about here, increasing your financial IQ. We're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.